Welcome back. This is your kind of well, kind of toxic host, Sarah Rittendale, bringing you another episode of Wellish. Victoria Peltier, welcome to Wellish. I am so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you're about. Oh, how long do you have? Um, (laughs) So I'm a like 20 plus year corporate executive. I became COO at age 24. So I've been kind of at this for a long time uh, in the B2B professional services space. Plus I've always built or bought businesses. So I've got this entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and I'm a published author. I sit on a few boards and I do a ton of public speaking. And then on the personal side, I'm a wife, a mother, fitness fanatic, love to travel, foodie and wine lover. Awesome. We got a few things in common there. (laughs) I'm curious, have you always been a highly motivated leader or is that something that's come later in life for you? Well, I, it wasn't the plan I thought that I had for myself laid out, you know, at my 11 or 12 year old self who thought I was going to be a lawyer. Okay. Uh, and that was a plan through university. Um, but uh, I ended up sort of working for a bank while I was in university with intent to go to law school after my undergrad. And then I got promoted up through the organization and I realized how much I loved it. But I actually started working at 11. So, you know, I'm from a socioeconomic perspective, lower middle class, you know, my mom was a secretary, my dad, a janitor. So if I never had to worry about food or clothing, but if I wanted anything beyond that, I needed to work. So I started working at a very, very early age, became, you know, the assistant manager of the shoe store I worked at at 14. And so that was my foray into leadership. And then as I progressed through the bank um, and got, you know, promoted to higher and higher levels, realized like I really enjoyed it. And a big part of what gave me joy was not just the complexity and solving problems at work, but the the part around leading people. Okay. Uh, and the evolution of me as a leader has changed pretty substantially because what I thought I needed to be and how I needed to show up in my 20s versus once I got into my 30s and beyond was very different. Interesting. Okay. So then what was the driving force to make you climb up the corporate ladder? I I started sharing the story pretty openly, maybe 10 years ago uh, or so. And it's as I spent so much time doing coaching and mentoring and speaking on bigger and bigger stages, I realized I was doing a disservice to people by not telling them what I refer to as my why. I've stolen that from Simon Sinek, his, you know, viral TED talk around mm-hmm. start with why, but, and that's just like, you need to understand. I tell people sort of my origin story to understand why I'm so driven. And so for me, that's, I was born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was exceptionally abusive to me. And I was in and out of the, the, you know, the, um, the child welfare system for a number of years, and then fortunate to be adopted by the parents that raised me. Uh, and at one point my mom said to me, and my mom is the woman that raised me. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, my mom said to me, I think I was 11 or 12. She's like, Tori, you need to do better than us. And she meant vocationally, socioeconomically, but the reality is Sarah, no one needed to say those words to me because I, in my DNA, I think it was, you know, I'd sort of recognized that I needed to be better than my biology, Julie, the woman who birthed me, mm-hmm. uh, and those first several years or the circumstance that I was raised in. So for me, I I have this sort of mantra around being unstoppable and that's just an incredible level of resilience. I don't let anyone tell me no. I don't, when obstacles come my way or challenges or adversity, I find a way through, around, on top, whatever, through them. And so that's what's really driven me to be focused on 
um, having the kind of career that I want um, and achieving, you know, very different levels of success as I've defined them. And I say that because I think my children have this view of what, because of my success, what I have expectations for them. And I'm very clear, like you define what level of success is for you, but I knew mine was going to be better than where I came from. Okay, interesting. That's awesome. I love your idea to instill in them that your level of success can look different in whatever way you define it. How does being intentional play a role for you here? How has it taken you this far? I often use a phrase around strategic intentionality. And that means in, in all, all fronts of my, uh, of my life, both personally and professionally, and then various elements when I think of professionally. So for me, you know, intentionality has come with um, maybe not always where I got to. Like if you look at my career path, it's maybe doesn't appear to be totally linear. Like there's jig jags and zigzags yeah. all over the place, um, but the, tangentially they are connected. That was a little bit, I sort of let opportunities come to me that I thought made sense, but learning new skills to make myself more marketable, making me more desirable um, and necessary. That was some, that's intentional. So I think of like my first executive role, I got recruited, as I said earlier, at um, 24 to become the chief operating officer um, for an outsourcing organization, large contact center outsourcing. Well, it's because I work for the bank and this company had many banking clients uh, and contact center, and that's what I was running for them. And so, but I'd also taken a ton of courses. I had my securities court uh, license. And so um, that was intentional to even around how I choose to network understanding the organizational dynamics and the spider web of who's connected to whom and the six degrees of separation. That's probably more like three, uh, to, you know, personal brand being really intentional about making sure the world knows what I want them to know. Yes. Here's my expertise. Here's what makes me different than other people. Here's my passions. And here's the things that, um, and values that I hold. And then also here's kind of this what do I want to be known for? What's that? So those are all things I've been incredibly intentional about. And um, the last thing I'd say around that is um, intention also comes with the creation of boundaries. One is wide, you know, to that that notion of be as successful as you want, go as far as you want, but also in getting there, I've learned to say no or delegate or outsource things that, you know, aren't, aren't bringing me any joy or value. Okay. Yeah, that's important. I feel like what I'm hearing you say is that it's a little bit of both. There's definitely intention that goes into it, but it's also just letting life happen for you and rolling with the punches. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, I, you know, the, as I say, you know, sort of the less best laid plans and I, um, you know, go to the, go to the wayside sometimes. And so I think you can develop a plan for yourself, but I think there's a, a big openness to the world um, you know, that I think is helpful. Um coupled with the strategic intentionality you might otherwise have. Okay, cool. So what would you say has been the biggest factor in your success? It's a multitude of things. Okay. Certainly, I think in this DNA, I believe like resilience um, is, some of it is innate, but some of it is a muscle that can you, you can flex and learn. And so I think I've learned how to have a healthy level of resilience. In my early years of like putting walls around myself, that's not, that's not healthy and compartmentalizing. So learning to be really resilient because as we experienced over the last few years with the pandemic, so much can change on a dime, like in, in an instant, right? So I, I think having that kind of resilient nature is one. And then the intentionality around a few different things. You know, I think of my career success um, as taking a ton of risk. You know, I think that growth doesn't come if you're not challenging yourself. So getting really 
comfortable with leaning into the things that make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I also think the fact going back to like skills and making myself relevant, um, you know, constantly developing my, my own skills to be a better performer. And I think a lot of people wait back and think like, Hey, my manager is going to do that for me, or the company is going to take care of this. And I'm like, no, you are the CEO of you. Um, and so you need to, um, so that's, you know, sort of this notion around performance and then personal brand and network has paid a really big part of that. Um, the majority of all the roles I've ever um, been recruited into are a result of having a strong brand and a network of people who say, Hey, what did you think about Victoria for this? Uh, and then the, the, the elements of creating some really strong boundaries for myself, um, because I, you know, I was also that first exec role. I was a brand new mother. My son was only three months old at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, I've coached my kids hockey teams and I sit on boards and I do all these things. So to do all that I want to do, um, uh, I've had to get very good at how to, how do I create boundaries? So those are some of the things where I'd say that I think I, I would say I attribute my success to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the concept of boundaries is so important, but I think it can be kind of complicated for sure. How long do you think it took you to figure that out? Uh, or was it just like a practicing, like over time you eventually got good at it? Yeah. And it's, it's easier. I will, you know, for your listeners, some who might be, you know, earlier professionals, it's hard to say no, you know, to your bosses. So, I mean, so it's a lot easier, you know, as I've, you know, I've gained more seniority to say no or to delegate it to someone else. So I'll completely acknowledge that, but something I had to learn on my own, you know, so I'm a fitness fanatic and I found that there was probably a couple of years of my life where I let the fact that I traveled probably 80% of the time creep in and I saw the weight come on because I was, you know, getting up at four to get on a 6am flight. And, and so I made some, you know, choices at that point and that compromised some of the things I wanted to do. So I've gotten better at blocking my calendar out before 9am. So no one books me for an early morning call so I can get to the gym, come home, shower and look somewhat presentable once I get on video calls, uh, you know, to, you know, intentionality around how to maintain and um, grow my network, blocking out, you know, periods for lunch, um, or just networking periods to even two 30 minutes a day in my calendar, just to get through emails when I'm back to back to back conference calls. So those are things I've learned. Um, and I've gotten much better at it. And a lot of it, um, comes to do with confidence and experience and knowing what is valuable to me, um, or what me personally, my family, you know, my career, my speaking work, um, and then f- figuring that out. Um, and so I, you know, tell your listeners, like, you know, you're going to like pivot and evolve and change. Um, and, you know, you'll say no now. And, you know, two years from now, you'll recognize that might be something you start saying yes to. That's important. That's interesting for sure. So I kind of want to get into what your experience as a woman in leadership has been like. What has that looked like for you? Has it always been a walk in the park? Is it an issue? Is it not an issue? I want to hear more about that. I've been incredibly involved in the diversity, equity, and inclusion world, or DEI for short, in part because of my experience. And so initially, when I stepped into that executive role um, at 24, I was the youngest by two decades. I was the only woman. And I also happen to be queer. So I was married to a woman, previously married to a man now, um, and very happily, you know, queer. And at the time I bring my wife, um, you know, to, to events. And so for me, I felt like I was the only. So that coupled with 
it was a stretch role, role for me. And so there was a little bit of this imposter syndrome of which many women will, you know, say that they feel. And so for me, I felt this need to show up with a little bit of a mask at work. I was never going to let people know that um, I had vulnerabilities, um, that I had like emotions. I didn't want people to think I was weak. And so I showed up in a very particular way at work that got me the nickname as the Iron Maiden at one point. You know, now I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions and I'm usually leading large like operations and teams and having to make some tough decisions, but I never showed that vulnerability piece. And so I learned late in my twenties and in my thirties that that actually wasn't the kind of, that actually who wasn't who I was innately. That's not who I am as a person. Um, and that's not the kind of leader I would want to work for. So I had to do things differently, but yeah. that came in large part, again, my sort of my early years, you know, my fear of like rejection and being vulnerable and getting hurt. And it also came as a woman in business, as the only woman in business trying to show up a certain way. Um, and so that that part, that's a part I've completely pivoted. I'm now like, I show up, you know, and I'm very committed to, you know, building vulnerable, authentic, trusted relationship by by usually showing a big part of myself in doing that. Yeah. And also as a woman, um, you know, I showed up a number of years ago um, to, I worked for IBM and um, you think about women in, in STEM generally, and I was leading a large meeting and I walked into a room, it was myself and one other woman and 40, four zero men um, in the room. Wow. Yeah. And so the reality is in, and sorry, and IBM's committed to like DEI. So it's not, not that they're not, but there's just some realities around women in certain roles or at certain levels. <laughs> And so we're not where we need, need to be. And so there's still times I find myself walking into rooms and there's less than 10% of us. And, and it's a big part of why I do so much of the work, you know, advocating when you look at the fortune 500 companies, there's only 53 female CEOs and only six black CEOs. Like, wow. So, wow. Yeah. So there's a long way for us still to go. Yeah. I, really. That's insane. That's incredible that you're putting the effort towards bringing awareness about it. So what do you think has been the most significant barrier for females in leadership? I think it's a few different things. And so the first is going back to this whole notion of networking and that, you know, who, who, you know, matters. Well, when, you know, white men who had predominantly been leading a lot of these companies know lots of other people that look a lot like them. And so it's just, you know, they're, they've built some, you know, trust in those. And so that, so it becomes this referral system. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think, um, not enough um, focus and attention put to um, attracting the right kind of diverse talent, both women, people of color, um, sexuality, you name it, all the different elements of diversity. But I, I also think there's a component that I've seen in some women, and this is going to be a bit controversial as I say this. We're here for it. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've in coaching and mentoring other women, like you know, they're at, and particularly those who choose to become mothers talk about that dynamic. And that's where I see this massive drop-off. So I'll look at, there was one company I worked at in the entry level out of college. We are 53% of our new hires were women okay. um, and at this certain job grade. And within a couple, um, you know, uh, job grades higher than that, which means, you know, let's say within five to seven years to typical progression, which is more child rearing years, you saw this decline all of a sudden. Um, and so, you know, um, a lot has to do with, you know, our, our choices that we make. And so for me, um, I, I hate being asked, you know, how do you do it all for me? It's just life and you can yeah. have it all you yeah. can, but not always at the same times. And there's 
compromises you're going to make at certain times for the right reasons. And so for me, um, you know, I, after giving birth to my second child, I gave, uh, I went into labor early. Um, I was planning on working to the last day, but I went in a bit early, was in the middle of something. I was released from the hospital like 10 hours later, she was sleeping and I got online and worked that night and people are like, what? I'm like, okay, my, my choice. Yeah. But a lot of women, you, you know, choose it's, you know, an equal partnership with your spouse. Now, yes, I was married to a woman when I had my two children, but my husband now, my ex-wife had passed away. My ex-husband who's adopted my kids, you know, he gave up a 25 year career because I'm the primary breadwinner and I travel and he helped manage with the kids. And so I don't think there needs to be a stay at home parent, yeah. but I think there needs to be an equal partnership at home. Oh my God. Absolutely. Well, you know, tell women like you don't need to bear all of there's a lot of mom guilt we have anyways. Don't let anyone else make you feel guilty for the choices that you're going to make. So yeah. I think there's this, there is a component that some women own in related relation to sort of this family dynamic and therefore stepping back uh, from what it takes to, you know, continue to move up the ladder. I mean, people can say all they want, um, you know, that you, you can have this incredible balance once you get into being an executive, but the reality is like, no, you don't, um, you know, yes, you can say no to things, but there's still, there's a lot when you're running large, you know, business units or whatever the senior role you're in. Um, and so you're going to have to make some choices. And so for me, when my kids were two and six, uh, I spent 220 days on the road that year. Mm -hmm. That's what my work, my work entailed. Although after about two years of that and seeing no end in sight, I quit that job. Uh, to get one with a little more balance, but yeah. at the time I needed to do what I needed to do. So are you more of a balanced person? Is that how you live your life? Because I, to be honest with you, and I feel like people don't understand this or don't like agree with this, that I feel I'm, I don't necessarily believe in balance. Like I feel like if you are, you have a goal, you're trying to get something, there's things that are automatically going to take the back burner. And then like you say, maybe in two years, that's something you start to say yes to, but you have to focus on what it is you're trying to achieve first. And in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's, um, I, I mean, I, this expect, this sort of hustle hard nation like that, that's the part where you hear about the great resignation, the great rethink, I mean, great social media um, you know, handles, um, but everyone's kind of rethought things. And I think um, where I think there can be more balance is for those who choose to have more balance the expectations of companies that they're going to get 60 hours a week at other employees who they only pay for 40 hours, like that needs to stop. We need to get to a better expectation by employers to employees. But like you and I, I mean, if you have a goal or objective, um, then, you know, go after it. So for me, there, no, there's it, as I said, it's all just life for me. Don't, I don't like when people talk to me about balance. I have this saying that where there's conviction there is capacity. Mm. So don't tell me you don't have time to work out in the gym. Are you on Netflix until one o'clock in the morning? Yes, absolutely. Um, and so for me, but I also make a choice. I, I'm clear with my team. It's do as I say, not as I do. I choose to read and clear my emails when I'm on vacation because I don't want to come home to a thousand emails. But that's my choice. Mm -hmm. I don't ask my team to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I've also like, built and like, or, uh, and bought companies on the side or for investment. And I do all these other things, but again, that's, that's my choice. And so I've just found a way to really integrate it all based upon, you know, what, what do I have that conviction around at that point? Yeah, absolutely. What do you feel women would benefit from knowing if they wanted to 
even if they didn't want to pursue a executive path, but they just want to pursue anything that's higher than what they're doing now, what do you think they would benefit from knowing about? This notion, as I said, that you know, you're the you're the CEO of you, and so I talk about boundaries, boundaries, and I've been talking a little bit more around sort of the the confines, saying no, delegating, outsourcing. But first of all, like go back to that. Define what success is for you. Yeah. Like, what is it you want? Don't let others tell you how limited that might be if you want really expansive opportunities, or that you can't go this far. Like you define it for yourself. And then you take charge of going and getting it. So whether that's the learning and development you need to gain the skills to do that, to networking, all those sorts of things. Um, and that you're like, you're accountable for that. And there are going to be trade-offs at certain times in your life that you're going to make. Again, if you've chosen to partner, if you've chosen to have children, again, sometimes you're going to make some compromises for the right reasons for your family, sometimes for your career. You know, me, I think I gave birth to my first at, you know, just before my 24th birthday. So I'm now turning 47 next week. Okay. Um, and I'm an empty nester. <gasps> what day? On the second. Fourth. So, you know, I just think like, had I made a de decision to kind of put aside my career some at somewhat when I was in my 20s, when I had my children, you know, I'd just be so much further, like behind where, you know, I am now. And this is where, like, I, I will tell women, like, you are a whole person. Yes, you are. You might be a spouse. Yes, you might be a mother. But you're this whole person. And so, like, don't be too focused on, like, when you think it, you're being selfish. It's like, no, like, you need. So here at 47, my younger one graduated high school last year and decided to move in with their older brother. So, like, I'm literally an empty nester now. And I still have this massive long runway ahead of me before I would even contemplate retirement. Yeah. So like, I think I want women to think much more that way versus this more traditional, we're in North America. I, mean, I know it's different in other parts of the world. Not all have the same kind of opportunity and privilege we do living in North, North America from a culture standpoint and expectations um, of, of women. Um, but like, go, go get it. Define what it is you want and go get it. Yes. And I like how you talk about us being a full person, because I feel like that's something that even if you're not uh, a mom or a wife or whatever, like people, people dial in on this one area of their life and form their identity around it. Let that be a career or adversity or anything that they've, they've experienced. And they just think, Oh, I'm stuck in this pigeonhole for the rest of my life, I guess. And this is who I'm going to be, or I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a wife. That's who I am. And I have no other pieces of me. And then when those things go away, like for the mom and wife specifically, you're screwed. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right. So how can women develop their leadership skills or just their skills to become more confident, powerful women? Well, differences between leadership versus some of the, the other things that are around, you know, confidence. And okay. so, so let me tackle confidence. First of all, I am not a believer in fake it till you make it with regards to anything except for confidence. And so, you know, this is, you know, when I first stepped into that um, executive role, I moved from, you know, running operations within a bank that's business to consumer uh, to all of a sudden I'm business to business. I'm in front of clients who pay our bills, having it. And I was accountable for sales and marketing, our operations, our technology, et cetera. I wasn't confident. 
And so that was one where I had to put this mask on. That's the only time I say like, put masks on, put this one where you show up and you just pretend you're confident you stand there. And at some point it actually does become more natural and potentially for many like me, more innate. So it's just who I am now. So with confidence, I think you just, you have to continue to like, you know, put yourself out there, but also I'm confident um, around the things that I know and I don't know. So I'm okay to go. I don't know what I don't know. And then I either go and find it and learn the skills um, or it's hire really and surround myself with people who have, you know, that, that capability that I don't. Yeah. And so for confidence comes in knowing, like, I'm not going to speak up and talk unless I, I actually really believe that I understand the subject. Okay. So, you knowledgeable. Yeah, develop, right. Sure. <laughs> develop your skills. Um, and there is an air. And so they talk about like taking up space and so yes, just, I've heard that. Um, and there's, it's good or bad, but confidence is often uh, mistaken for competence and they can be one and the same thing. Um, but it, the, the appearance of confidence usually dramatically helps um, those propel within the organization. Yeah. And it relates to just getting, you know, better at your role or potentially going into leadership. I mean, again, deeply understand your craft to talk a lot about skills, but that's just because this new sort of way of like the future of work, there's much more of a focus on discrete skills um, rather than job titles and these kind of broad buckets. And so being re really clear and understanding the skills you have today that are necessary for your job, but also what's coming. The shelf life of skills is reducing dramatically, like less than two years, particularly when you start to talk at like technology or others. And so make sure you maintain your relevance um, and your skills for future to help, even if it's, you don't want to be, you know, go up, up the food chain, so to speak, from a, a corporate ladder standpoint, but just be better at or, or the more senior person in your functional craft. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as a leader, um, you know, th there, this is again, one where I think there's a little bit DNA. Um, and then there's okay. a lot, there's a lot you can learn though. I mean, and in my case, um, I, I often get asked, you know, who are the mentors I've had? Sadly, Sarah, I don't have many good ones. In fact, I've had to learn from those who performed horribly. And I was oh, like, I'm okay. not going to be anything like that. I'm going to yes. do, do better, do different. Um, and there, I mean, the digital world we're in now, it's easy to, you know, learn. There's podcasts. That's actually how I start my, you know, workout every day, listening, you know, to podcasts before I shift to music. Mm -hmm. Me too. <laughs> learn. And, and then, and also ask for, ask for help. Yeah. I think that's cool how you say that it is DNA that, so you think that it is like, you kind of have to have a spark in you. Obviously anybody can learn anything and can get better at anything and can, like you were saying, grow their knowledge, but like it does, I agree with you that I feel like it is kind of something that's you, you either got it or you don't. Would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 I mean, again, I, I think you, you can get better, but you, yeah. you, you think there's some who you either enjoy it or you don't. That's the other thing. Like yeah. into leadership, like you have to enjoy what a big part of there's always going to be, I have the 80, 20 rule, right? Like at least mm -hmm. 80% of that you're going to enjoy. There's 20%, whether it's administrative. Sometimes I feel like I'm back in high school, like managing, like when people and the pettiness that comes just, you know, in a work, in a workplace, but most of the time, like, do you, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy yeah. coaching and developing people? Yeah. It's fantastic. That's, that's the innate part. Can you get better at how you do that? Yes. That's the learned part. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So I want to talk to you about, we talked, we touched on it very briefly about how people will 
succumb to their adversity. So I want to discuss that with you since I know that you did experience major adversity and have so far overcome that. I want to hear kind of your mindset and your thoughts through that process. So what motivated you away from the rough upbringing towards a more successful lifestyle? There's two hashtags I saw in a lot of my social media posts. One is unstoppable because that's my nature to be incredibly resilient and not let anything, you know, um, stop me. And the other is no excuses. Um, and now my children hate that one. I will tell you, (laughs) um, but and it doesn't mean that we can't, when adversity comes our way, we, you know, can't feel the emotion of anger, sadness, pain, whatever it is in that moment. I don't, I, I don't mean to be hardened. Like when I say no, no excuses, it's just, we have a choice mm-hmm. in terms of how we move forward from that. Mm-hmm. How are we going to process the adversity challenge trauma, you know, that's come our way and how do we put one foot in front of the other, that's progress um, towards our our goal. So that's what I mean by sort of the no excuses. So for me, um, I'm again, going a little bit at this nature nurture thing, as I say, DNA, you know, I think of, you know, the fight or flight, I'm a fighter. And okay. so, you know, my first years with Julie, my biological mother to like lower socioeconomic status with my mom was later diagnosed with like manic depression. So it's a bit challenging in the household too. I was raped at 14. Uh, like, so a multitude of things that still came my way. It was like, I had this like fight in me that I was, again, I was not going to let it stop me. Um, and, and then it shifted when I had the words around it, um, you know, that I was just going to be better than I was yeah. going to, somehow I thought I'm going to prove to the world. I am better than like the Saxon last name I was born with, like into that, that dynamic versus, you know, parents that, you know, could never afford to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted something different, uh, for me. And so that's where, that's where the drive came from. Um, you know, and, um, and I've just, that drive has continued. So all those, there's been a ton and a ton of adversity and challenge that's come since then. I think mm-hmm. of like that I was raped at 14. I had a boyfriend at 18 or 19. He was fairly abusive to my, um, my ex-wife had cancer. We found out when I was pregnant with our set, when I was seven weeks pregnant with our second. And so like, mm-hmm. go through that, you know, she passed away. Um, like a bunch of these things have come up, but yeah. it's just like, okay, like, how am I going to move forward and move through this? Yeah. And I wouldn't say Sarah, I always had the healthiest way of being resilient. I, I, I was very good at building walls. My nickname is turtle. So I've got a, you know, tough exterior, but I'm all actually marshmallow inside. And I okay. never let, I, I didn't let anyone except the absolute lows closest to me, see the, see the marshmallow inside. Yeah. Um, I needed to learn. This is where, um, the, the learn, the not DNA, learn to be better, improve and flex your muscle. I learned to get better at being really self-aware and self-reflective and understanding why I felt or acted the way I was. And then building a plan to like model the thinking or the action that I wanted to get me to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And that took time uh, for sure. Um, and it wasn't always comfortable. Um, but again, I think, you know, unless you're leaning into the discomfort that like growth isn't coming. Absolutely. So why, what do you think is the main reason people make excuses then? Like how, what can people do to start shifting away from the excuse making? why? Because I think it's easy for many people to make excuses. Like it's hard work. 
you know, being disciplined, right? We you just talk about working out like, okay, okay well, no, no excuses. Don't mm-hmm. tell me you can't find an hour in your day to like, or even half an hour, like yeah. to go and, and do that. Right. And so, um, I think it's, it's easy to blame something or someone else or the yeah. circumstance versus creating a solid plan and making change that is difficult. Yeah. Have you ever had trouble with your identity living in one extreme to the next extreme? How so? Like maybe imposter syndrome you talked about a little bit, like having any issue with um, maybe feeling guilt or anything that maybe just living these two different lives you're like, or, or maybe not anything bad that you're like, wow, look at me. Like I did all of this. I came from this and I've created this and some people can't do that. And I did. Yeah. It's, um, so yes, I think now I understand like the question a little bit, um, better, but in very different ways. So, um, yes, there was imposter syndrome in the workplace, but I compartmentalize and I'm like, okay, I'm going to show, I'm going to deliver. So I'm going to achieve. Um, and so I plowed through despite, you know, my insecurity and imposter syndrome. Okay. Um, but, um, there's many, you know, moments where I felt conflicted. Um, and one of those, so it's funny for, for me earlier in my, my twenties into my, my early thirties, I, um, part of me demonstrating to the world that I was better than I did, you know, than where I came from was a little bit just around, unfortunately, material things, you know, so I had to get a bigger and bigger home or more better vehicle or this or that. Um, and, and to sort of prove that was in my, in my, in my head. But I, again, some of that, I know where it comes from. You know, I, you know, my, my parents had declared bankruptcy twice. I bought my first house at 19. Like I was just so determined. I was not, um, you know, going to be like that. Yeah. Um, And then, and so that for me, I would tell people is like completely mistaken view of what success and happiness looks like. You know, I remember my mom joking. She's like, Tori, money doesn't buy happiness, but it makes (laughs) one hell of a down payment. Um, (laughs) You know, I can like give my children things that I, you know, could, I never had, but our health, like, and actually my ex-wife's health and then her later passing, like that kind of put some things into perspective for me. But interestingly, I remember flying my father out. My mom passed away um, when I was pregnant with my daughter. My father, I flew him out um, to our home. And at the time I had like a live-in nanny and I actually felt really uncomfortable. And so, you know, for the outward world, how successful I was, it was great for everyone else to know, but for my dad to come, it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Like, so living this sort of life to um, being really, really, um, I'm extremely values and integrity driven, and I've made some decisions to leave companies, um, mm-hmm. as a result of that. And, um, I think I would have lived in fear to do some of that, um, earlier in my yeah. career, probably stayed a little longer in some, um, even despite seeing that. And so that's where I've just kind of had to vacillate sometimes between what I want and the goals I have and reconciling it with who am I really innately and and how are people perceiving me? And so now in my forties, like, I don't care. Like, so I have no issue with like identity and saying, here's who I am and here's what I stand for. And yeah. here's what I like. Do you think it just came with age? Yeah. Age and the ex- not experience, not just an age, but like some of the experiences I've had. Sure. Just yeah. Caused me to rethink something. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I feel like a lot of people talk about it coming with age, but right. If you're just aging and you're not 
trying to be intentional or trying to learn anything. <laughs> Why would anything make a difference? Absolutely. So what have you had any characteristics that you feel like you've carried with you through your whole life that has led you to this point? Yeah, my like determination and stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't generally, even though I said woot woot to Tauruses, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I am very similar to the way they describe a Taurus. Yeah. I don't know anything about any of the other signs. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, you know, like I have extreme determination and discipline and I can be quite stubborn. And I do think that that's helped me um, in this like unstoppable way of living and life. Yeah. You said earlier that you didn't necessarily picture your life to be like this. Is that what I heard? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be better than some like my parents or I knew there were certain things. So like I said, I bought my first house at 19. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I was very focused on, um, you know, career and ensuring that I would never need to rely upon anyone else. Like those sorts of things were always there, but I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I watched you know, I'm, I'm really aging myself here and you probably don't know the show, but like LA law, my mom watched that this TV series. And, um, you know, that was like in the eighties and early nineties. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a lawyer like them. Right. And that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. And then I started getting into the world and realized what much like, you know, whether you either enjoy leadership or you don't, well, I enjoyed the corporate life. I enjoyed being a leader. And so it progressed. I wouldn't have said that my aspiration was I needed to be a CEO someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that goal or um, evolved um, over time. Uh, And also I've never really had a total career pivot. As I said, you know, it looks like a zigzag, but they're tangentially all of the roles I've held are are related, but I do a lot of coaching for other leaders who I would actually advise them in some cases to pivot. And so I tell your, your, your listeners that that's okay as well. Like you might start down one path and, you know, go five or 10 years down it and go, just don't enjoy it anymore. It's not what I want, or I've developed a new passion. And so I'm going to go this way instead. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, um, it's everything I do is very much, we talked about sort of the whole person and life. It's all, it's all connected to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just gotten probably a little bit more laser focused on some things than others, but okay. no, I didn't necessarily plan it like 12 or 14 or 15 or 18 to be where I am here necessarily. Sure. But how do you prevent yourself from having a victim mentality? Like what separates you from people who allow their adversity to crush them? I mean, a lot of things. So again, I think there's, um, you know, the, the innate desire to, to fight, um, yeah. you know, the, adversity. uh, but there, there's also, I mean, I'm not, I think there's a lot that comes in finding people that support you as well. Right. So for your, you know, the listeners who've, you know, suffered from trauma or some kind of adversity, we've all experienced adversity. Not all have had the same kind of trauma necessarily, but we've all experienced adversity and challenge and, um, and getting help is okay. You know, I actually, my mom was very good. I, I hated it as a teenager. She'd sit me down for hours to try and talk through like, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I was like, oh my God, mom, like, but actually that ability to be really self-reflective and have great understanding around my motivations, my fears, et cetera, is, is actually, my mom didn't, uh, she knew what she was doing back then, but I mean, like, I don't know that she knew how impactful it was going to be for me now as an adult, yeah. um, not just teens. And so I, I tell your listeners, like, get some help and support to find the ways to move through um, like, and take the small steps that are progress. Okay. 
How can people stop themselves from settling for a life that isn't fulfilling? Well, I think <laughs> we have choice. Yeah. Um, and so this is where my no excuses and I'll call BS on people. Like sometimes where they're like, you can, you can bitch all you want for a period of time, but again, you have a choice to change the situation you're in, mm -hmm. whether that's a relationship or whether that's a job, mm -hmm. um, or whether that's the extra weight and health you carry, right? Like yeah. you have choice. So if you are unhappy or you are unfulfilled, then you make a choice to alter the path you are currently on. Um, and build a plan for such, and then take action on that, on that plan. And mm -hmm. but this goes back to even this mo notion I said of just being really like self-reflective around like what it's easy to say, I'm, I don't enjoy this. Okay. Well, so like much like I tell people leading, they're thinking about a career change or, or company change, even like don't run from something, run to something. Unless yeah. it's absolutely horrible. Like, I mean, you, you being sexually, you know, you know, abused, you've got a horrible leader. Like, I mean, there's a reason sometimes you want to run away from somewhere, but I mean, generally. Mm -hmm. And so spend that time being really aware around, okay, what don't I like about the situation? And therefore, what is it I'm seeking? Yeah. You yeah. know, in this next job relationship, whatever. I think it also comes back to the easiness that you were talking about earlier. Like, it's just like so easy to just like continue with this life that you've been living. And obviously you have to, I like what you said about making a plan. I feel like most people skip that step that they like think, okay, like I hate my life. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Now I have to take action and fix it and do something about it. But I feel like the plan gets lost and that's how it's harder for us to take action. It almost feels like, you know, you're not ready to make those steps. And that would be why, because you don't know what you're doing. What is the biggest difference between young you and now you? Clarity and confidence. I said, I, I, I faked it till I made, it. I showed up, but I mean, and I think there was a degree of confidence, but I mean, there's a true innate level of confidence in the things I know mm -hmm. uh, now, but just the clarity piece is probably more so like I can very, very well, um, articulate what I do and I don't like, yeah. um, so I'm crystal clear on, you know, if I'm make, making a, a role change or I think, you know, I, I can tell you what does that role or that environment going to look like? Um, and that, that notion of creating boundaries and what I'm saying no to, I know a heck of a lot better now than I did in my twenties. I think it's so funny that you say, I feel like I've heard you say multiple times, confidence and clarity, but you are doing these very impressive things, you know, buying the house at 19, having a child before 24, becoming the CEO at 24. Like, even though you are feeling that way, your, your actions don't reflect that. And I think that that's really cool. Um, so something that I like to do on Wellish is we, I like to paint a picture that just like that, honestly, that, you can be your most well self. We can try to become our most healthy versions of ourselves, but it's never going to be a hundred percent. There's always going to be work that's going into becoming the best version of yourself. So just a couple last questions for you. What is something you're worried about right now? Uh, my younger one, my, my youngest child um, has some mental health issues um, and suffered from a little bit of substance abuse issues. So, um, you know, that weighs on my, my mind, um, you know, heavily in terms of making sure they're in the, the right space and getting the right help um, for them. What's a toxic mental habit you used to carry that you can now proudly say you've overcome? Not thinking I was good enough. Okay. 
what went into overcoming that toxic trait? Believing I was good enough. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of your experience and all of your knowledge, what would you say is one of the most important things that you have learned about life? Oh, <laughs> just the big uh, question for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just throw that. <laughs> like it's so simple. Um, just around this notion of how control in control we are, despite the fact that there's a lot of things outside of our control, we are, you know, as I, as I've shared around, you know, defining what success looks like for us, what happiness looks like for us, and then making the choice to move towards that. Yeah. Sweet. How can people find you? I have a website, which is victoria-peltier.com. And I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. So no one needs to figure mm -hmm. out how to spell the last name. Um, and then your audience can choose to link out to whatever social media platform from there that uh, they spend the most time on. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. You've provided so much insightful information and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs>